You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. What? What? <laughs> what? What? Ah, <laughs> uh, welcome back to another. Uh, what do you call it? another episode of the podcast? Off the record, everybody. Uh, sitting across from me, as always, is my loyal co-host Christopher Jones. How are you, brother? What's happening? Really good, mate. How are you after your big weekend? No, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bit I had a quiet weekend. I yeah. had until Sunday night came along, and then we went to Hoyos and watched Tex have his first grade debut and gutsy win from the Knights. Draw, draw from the Knights. Mm. It was a win. Win in their books. Come from yeah. behind. The um, Panthers went fifty minutes without scoring a point. Poor bastards. But mm. that's footy. That's rugby yeah. league. It's been happening. How'd you go? Uh, Jess and I went out for dinner on Saturday night. It took an hour for our entrees to come out. Which we weren't complaining because it's our first night without the kids in a long time. So we just... Kids? Kids now? Oh, whatever. A little prick. <laughs> One of them. I've had a really strong coffee out there, ladies and gentlemen. So if I hit the deck, it's just to do a few push-ups to burn off some energy. I'm sweating. My hands are shaking. It's all good. Uh, speaking to, uh, speaking about burning off some energy, uh, I'll let you introduce our guest for today. Right, so I know our guest today is the Greek god, Pazzi, Pazlode, Pazminko. But Paz, how would you... Uh, Introduce yourself in one sentence. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I've never been asked that question before. Throw him up against it early. I can go usually son. put it into a couple of sentences, but Ooh. I'll try one. Let's go. Um, Adam Tripaz, Newcastle born and bred. Uh, weightlifter that's worked all over the world in professional sport, now back at home. Beautiful. Perfect. Um, a lot of people who I meet, uh, the Tripaz name's quite synonymous with Newcastle. How long has your family been here? Um, I think my father come over here and his family in the 40s. They immigrated for, from um, Greece when um, a lot of the Italians and Eastern Europeans come over here to work in the steelworks and everything like that. So we've been Newcastle born and bred since then. Because it's happened a lot of times that I've met people just like at the hairdresser or wherever and I say, oh, Paz, not Paz who? Which one? Not Adam. So is there a bunch of years or is it just a few years? Um, there's my father and he has three brothers and they were pretty successful in terms of sport and everyone knew where it was. My uncle Michael played um, rugby league for New South Wales, 1971-72, played yep. for Canterbury for quite a few years. But he dogs. come... He was one of the guys that come – he got picked straight from New South Wales from playing with Waratah locally. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And, and then went to Sydney. Yeah, and oh. my father represented Australia as a weightlifter in the 70s as well. Did he compete in the Olympics or anything like that? No, he was picked to go to the Olympics, but about a year before he dislocated an elbow, which basically ruined his career back then. So if you were to dislocate your elbow that far out from competition now, could modern science get you in there? Oh, I dare say modern science and modern supplements might get you back <laughs> in there. A few Mexican steaks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you just touched on it before that you're an Olympic weightlifter. You've actually taught me a few um, techniques and stuff, and I still implement them today in my training routine. Um, just explain to our listeners what Olympic lifting is. Um, Olympic lifting is the one you see on the Olympics. Yep, the which is? The snatch and the clean and jerk. Mm-hmm. So it's basically them two lifts. The snatch is where you pull it from the ground straight above your head in one controlled movement. Clean and jerk is to your shoulders and then you split it above your head. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Mm. And did you have much success in that? Not really. I, th- I think I was more successful than what I actually was. Yeah. Um, I dedicated quite a bit of time to it. <laughs> but even though I wasn't as successful as what I wanted to be back then, I um, carved a pretty good career, which based basically... The f- that was the foundation for me to go on to um, sort of my working career. So in the Olympics, the um, 
those two movements are the only weightlifting movements that you do in the Olympics. Yes, and the other discipline is powerlifting. That's the oh yeah big fat slow guys. We don't like them. So it's what's bench deadlift squat squat and yep. is it the same where you total up the your snatch and your clean and jerk and then you total as your score yeah it's a little bit weird the olympics is like that you get three attempts yeah and your total yep. gives you the um you know the gold medal but i think at um commonwealth games and others they'll there's a gold medal for a snatch there's a gold medal for the clean and jerk there's a gold medal for the total so separate events yes oh okay right yeah and um your wife kate was a gymnast yes she was and did she have much success Yes, she was, um, I think she got up to the elite level of gymnastics, so she was right up there. She went to nationals, which is, I know nothing really about it, but apparently that's huge in gymnastic circles. Oh, we love it. It's yeah. the biggest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite a funny sport because you can be like 16 and over the hill. Did she continue right through? So she got uh, identified at primary school. True. Yeah. So they come through, and when I think that was when the AIS and Australian Sports Commission were doing a lot of talent identification in the late nineties mm-hmm. or early nineties. I don't know, mid nineties maybe. I'm trying to think of her age. Um, don't say it. Yes, and they uh, identified her. She's you've seen her train. She's got a natural good oh, strength yeah. and mobility, and she went from there. She was probably a late starter. Yeah. She started at 10 or 11. Oh, right. And she went right through till she was 20, 21. And then I think she found um, King Street, Fanny's, etc. So yeah. That, mm. um, that got rid of that. The downfall. Yes. But um, <laughs> she always got told that if she got picked up about four or five years earlier, she wouldn't have been an Olympian. But oh, okay. Yeah, that they, old everyone can say that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. She had a bad elbow or something. Oh, yeah. I could have made it with my yeah. elbow. How did you two meet? Um... We met, she worked at, we w- we done the same degree, um, our Bachelor of Teaching Physical Education degree. I was a couple of years ahead of her. I didn't know her, but she um, was working as a bit of a, doing a bit of PT in the gym at the uni. Mm-hmm. And I'd say the first time she seen me was when I was in my tights. Before Whoa. they were cool, squatting up at the gym. And um, <laughs> I always say that she was taken aback by that, but she tells our boys differently. What does she say? <laughs> Let's go with her version. What did she say? <laughs> yeah, she just used to say you were the big gorilla-looking thing that used to grunt and groan in the corner. Yeah, well, with big legs. Still are. <laughs> yes, that's what I usually do. Yeah, mm. Bit of grunting. Ah, <laughs> uh, rightio. So, to, uh, just tell us how, why S and C. How how did you get into that? Because it seems like these days, uh, like it's the new version of being a PT. Everyone wants to be an S and C now. Like, uh, give us. How did you get into it? Interesting. Um, so. Through my Olympic lifting back then, back in the day, I think I started around 92, 93. Jeez, I'm showing how old I am now. Um, I started, I was really the only, it might sound um, pretty funny and a few people heard it before, I was the only Olympic lifter in Newcastle. So that was before that sort of lifting was cool. Yeah. So I was lucky enough that at Planet Fitness, it was not where it is now, it used to be up the road. It, um, the owner there, Dallas... Um, bit of a wild man, but he always had a love for lifting. So he always had an area set up that you could yeah. lift. So I trained down there and um, at that time the Knights utilised that gym. They utilised the commercial gym there for their training and sort of because I was doing that lifting there, would see them all the time. And then it was one day that I was training and um, their coach Warren Ryan walked in and asked me who I was, said he knew dad because a bit of trivia, Warren Ryan went to the Commonwealth Games for shot put. 
Oh, really? Back in the day. The walk. Yes. Yeah, so he knew who dad was, spoke to me and said, if you're interested in doing anything, let me know. And I said, well, actually, I would. Basically, just went from there. Started off um, as a strength coach with their juniors. Yeah. Probably, I don't know how I didn't kill anyone back then, but <laughs> I got through it. And um, really loved it. Ended up going to uni, doing all that, and just sort of built off that. Yeah, just rolled off the back of just yep. Warren Ryan asking you in the gym. Yes. And how, how, you said that you were the only weightlifter in Newcastle, like Olympic lifting. What were people's? How, what would people react like when you were throwing the bar around in the gym? Um, there was a lot of things. Once I started to get to an, a level where I was lifting kind of heavy, people would sort of – a lot of bodybuilders would walk out the back and go, what are you doing that for, mate? Yeah, we throw that's, that's not around. That's not good for your knees. Mm. How's your back when you're doing that? But it ended up to a point where – a lot of the – back then in the 90s, the bodybuilding was huge in Newcastle. Like, there was some big dudes around. Yeah. And this it ended up – Arnie was big around those time of yeah, times? Yeah, Arnie was big and I think this, um, the um, the different supplementation might have yeah. been very big back then. But a lot of them guys ended up – a bit of mutual respect, so yeah. ended up knowing them and they were all the bouncers in town, so I used oh, to sweet. be able to get the front of line at everywhere with all my <laughs> mates and get let in. And yeah, sweet. Yeah, and it, it was a little bit different then, but – I think, um, you know, it's not like it is now where you walk into any yeah. – I haven't been in a commercial gym, I'd say, for a very long time. But yeah. from what I see with the advent of social media, it's sort of done everywhere now. Yeah, with poor technique. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll get into that. <laughs> so uh, you said that you had to do a degree. What's, did you go to uni in that, obviously? Yep, I went to Newcastle Uni. I think at the time they didn't have an exercise and sports science degree. The only thing they had was um, – PE teaching mm. I thought that was the closest thing yep. if I look back now it's probably the best thing I ever done yeah so I done my teaching degree I think before I went into that degree I was probably more um a lot of people listening to this that know me will laugh I was probably more antisocial than what I am now oh really yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right yeah so that sort of um brought me out of my shell that that was probably the best thing for me at uni it was like the people that I went to uni with still really good friends oh, with, yeah. um, and the great. PE degree has a um bit of a reputation for how fun that degree is for four yeah. years. So I've done my teaching degree, um, ended up towards the end of my teaching degree, I got my first start overseas, but then after a couple of years I ended up doing my Masters in Exercise Science specialising in Strength and Conditioning. So your name is Adam Tripas, and do you have letters after your name when you write it out? No, nah, not really. No, nah, there's no... I'd like to. Well, Sometimes I do. Yeah, just put add a few in there. To, yeah. <laughs> my name's Christopher Jones, PFFT. Pfft, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> As you just mentioned there that you had your first um, gig overseas, how are you able to promote yourself to get these jobs overseas? Well, at that time I was, I think in, I started at the Knights in 1998. Yep. So working there and with all the juniors and I built up to that till, I think I left the Knights in 2004 and I built up to them where I was basically doing the strength and coaching the strength from their under 15s through to reserve grade. And then um, one of my good friends and mentors Lee Clark he was basically first grade so we were sort of working in a little bit together there but I wasn't officially the, the SNC, NRL team yeah. but okay. I was you know right through and yeah. then um just with people that you coach over the years and you hear different things the circle's pretty small and yeah job come up overseas and I applied for it and got it and what was that job, the first one? That was with Wakefield Trinity Wildcats in the nice northern England. Oh, wakey. <laughs> so a bit cold up there? Interesting role. At the time, I thought I was more than ready for it. When yeah. I got there, I wasn't ready for that type of role. I don't think I was only 28. It was the first time I'd sort of probably been away from home. Yeah. 
So, yes, it was a bit of a wake-up call. So in what sort of respect did they just expect you to know everything from the, from the jump and just expect you to be able to just... Not really. I think that I, I had the knowledge, but I didn't have the communication skills oh, okay. in terms of, um, you know, getting put under pressure when coaches are under pressure and oh, not yeah. being able to sort of communicate that. And I probably brought over a different style of training than what they'd seen there. Everything was repeat speed, lactic orientated. It wasn't long, arduous running. And the coach at that time probably was an old hardhead front rower. He couldn't get his head around what we were doing. And I think the first... First three games we won that year. We beat um, Bradford away, who were the world club champs. That's the first yeah. time they've ever been Bradford at their home game. We beat Wigan, which they'd never beat Wigan before. Yeah, And then we um, beat the third game, just one of the lower teams. And then after that, I think we got beat, I can remember it now, because it started to snow during the game. We got beat 84-8 to eight by the London Broncos. Ooh. Oh, right. And, and that's when um, things... You know, the pressure started to get put on me that we weren't fit and I really didn't know how to communicate that. But if I look back now, it wasn't that the team wasn't fit, it's just that they were ridiculously tired. Overworked. Yes. And you, so, men- you mentioned before that um, you were quite – you're pretty antisocial back then. So how do you go from being an antisocial introvert almost to uh, having to work in a whole team environment where you've just been that guy grunting in the corner at the gym? And you're I, in charge. I think when you're – it's, it's sort of different. Um, my wife always says that to me, that she will she's seen me speak at a couple of sort of conferences and things like that and she it blows her away that when she's with me, I'm like a 12-year-old kid. Yeah. But then as soon as I flick that switch oh, into my profession, mate. I'm completely different. Yeah. It's like she's looking at a different person. I think it's like – I think when you're passionate about it, it just comes straight off. But that's a learning experience too. Yep. Like, you know, I think that's where the PE degree come in well because if you can teach your peers at uni, yeah. you know, 20 or 30 of your peers that are all taking the piss out of you, yeah. you can teach anyone. And I've heard a lot with uh, roles like that almost. My friend is, is a trainer for fighting and he said it's you're, you almost don't get it yourself until you're able to teach it. Yeah, exactly like stuff right. Like, just with technique and stuff, like you can say do this all yeah. you want, but until you can teach yeah. it, you... Don't fully grasp yeah. it yourself. So why do we do it like this? Yeah. Oh, well, we do it like that because... And then you've got to try and come up with the answer while you're trying yeah. to explain I it. I don't yeah. know. That's what he told me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what the book says. <laughs> oh, man. I just uh, got to open up my phone for the next <laughs> question. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, who else did you work with overseas? You mean, like, just so... You, was that in a, was it only kind of football teams over, overseas? Or did no, you... Um, I think from... Wakefield didn't end very well. No. Um, I was actually I – I went through um, a previous relationship. My um, fiancé at the time Whoa. come over, absolutely hated it. Yeah. Three weeks, wanted to go home. Mm. So we had, um, we had two houses at that stage back then. In Newcastle? Yes. So oh, yeah. um, she come home and I didn't know what was going on and oh. blah, 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 blah. So I ended up having to cut that probably a year short. Uh-huh. To come home, sorted all that crap out, and uh, I think it was about two thousand and seven. I um, he just turned up here one day, and I was training. Is Ashley Jones? He was the All Blacks head S and C at the time. He was at the nineteen ninety seven, so he knew Dad. He seen me as a kid, as a lifter. Yep, knew what I was doing. Said, "Mate, what are you interested in doing?" I said, "Well, I want to do something. You know, I want to keep in this." And he said, "Look, quite a few jobs in Japan. Come over my desk. Are you interested in going there?" And I was like, "Oh." Definitely. Mm. And then um, within probably three months, I had four offers in Japan. So then, yeah, 
didn't really know what was going on to Japan. And to be perfectly honest, when um, Toyota sent a contract through and were interested in me, I was looking at the numbers on the contract because their money's a bit different. I told Kate at the time, that's my wife now, I said, can you go and get the calculator? I need to work this out. Yeah. And as soon as I seen what they were offering, I was like, we need to sign now. <laughs> <laughs> they could have been lowballing you. No, nah, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> and so is the money as crazy as what it was then now? I think so. Japan, I think no matter what you see in rugby, people don't go to Japan to better their actual oh. ability or playing career or coaching career. They it's go there to make money. Cash. Yeah, it's crazy. And was would you say Toyota was probably the most professional outfit you worked for in Japan? Um, when I got there, no. No? When I got there, it was crazy. Oh, was it? It was the more you do. It was the first one of the first times they'd have a proper foreign conditioner. Yeah. So when I got there, I spent the first two weeks just um, sort of observing everything and they had a, a bit of an old school Japanese strength coach and um, the session I observed with him in the gym, they were in the gym for three and a half hours. Yeah, right. It's probably the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, just absolutely belting themselves. Yeah, belting themselves. They just thought that the more you do, the better you become. So it, it was hard. It was tough. But we got there in the end. The team, with the four years I was there, the team got promoted to the top league. That was the first time in their history that they'd ever been in the top league. So that was pretty cool. But it was a very frustrating time from a work perspective. But from a life perspective, we look back now and it was unbelievably awesome. And Kate was there with you, obviously. Yeah, Kate was there with there. We um, we got married sort of while we were over there. Not there, but we come when the times when we come home after the season, we had our firstborn George there. Oh, awesome! They were all different experiences. Yeah, babies in a foreign country and everything like that. Was it just you and Kate? Yep. And what was that like having a baby overseas? Um, Your first one. Too. Kate's got some pretty good stories with yeah. that. They do things a lot differently. As we say, there's the um, right way and the wrong way and the Japanese way. Yeah, oh, is that a saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, while you're over there. And we also got told from the first time we got there to take the word why out of our vocabulary because it'll just do our head in. Just because. <laughs> yeah, so when Kate had the baby, um, George, I was the only one, only male at the hospital. Well, so, in the whole hospital? Yeah, so it was a so how it works over there, I worked for Toyota. Toyota owned the hospital. Okay. They right sort of on. own everything if you work for them. And, um, yeah, how it works over there is it's usually just the the um, the mother's mother is there, like the pregnant lady's mother. She's yeah. the one that's there. It's not the husband's not there. So when Kate was having George, she was a little bit audible. They kept telling her to shush. <laughs> well, you know they make noise. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Scientologists. We were the only um, foreigners in the hospital, so we were like a bit of a circus act. It's a little yeah. bit different there once you're – in Nagoya, where we were, is the sort of working class where all the um, the Toyota factories and that. So it was interesting to have the shoe on the other put where we'd go um, shopping and that, and people would stop and stare and point, and take photos. Like that. Yes, they <laughs> took photos of Kate while she was pregnant. So the, yeah, yeah, that was interesting. But that's just how they live over there. They haven't got, they're not exposed out of them areas to a lot of foreigners. And what was the decision like between you and your missus to um, to decide to have? The kid over there because my brother actually he played for Bradford, funnily yep. enough. And um, when when he was in England and stuff, and uh, when she felt pregnant, it was a it was a really you know tough kind of decision for them to make. And they actually decided to come back home so they sh- she could be around her family. And he left footy over there and came back here. What was that like for you guys? Just having just it being you guys over there. Yeah, I don't think we really well, we probably did, but I can't remember. I don't think we really had a huge discussion around it. The 
because who he worked for, the medical is huge, like in terms of really, really good. Like, oh, yeah. So we just thought, oh, well. The best we, treatment. We, yeah, and, and they're very um, – if you work for the club, how it works there, and we got told there is the um, – the company first, then family second. So that, that was an yeah, it's just very interesting like that. It's a Japanese work ethic, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Mm. Took me a while to get that. Oh fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> family first, yeah. Oh man. Works like eighth on my list. Mm. <laughs> Things that come So was that the only club you worked for in Japan? Um yeah. I worked oh, yeah. for Toyota for four years. And then where'd you go from there? Um I come home from there. I'd had enough of it. I sort of was like, we need to get out of here. I could have stayed, but um, in my profession, you, you're you not going to better your career in Japan. Japan. No one cares why you're there. So yeah, okay. I come home and um, I, was, I didn't really have anything when I come home. It was just time to come home. We were financially pretty good by then. Yeah. So we could – and Kate, you know, wanted to sort of um, get back and do Please. something for herself and, oh, okay. yeah, and get back with family as well. So at that stage was when the whole shit fight was happening at the Knights with the Bennett era. Yeah. So I still had a lot of friends there at the Knights that were running the program and everything like that. And um, so when I come home, I think I come home in the February, March of 2011. So I seen all of that unfold when Bennett got announced as the coach here and then he brought all his staff in and he's head honcho conditioning guy. He basically told majority of the staff that were there halfway through the year, you haven't got a job next year. So I didn't really I, – I had a bit of a bad taste in my mouth there, just more from, you know, they were friends and they were good people that were doing yeah. a pretty good job at the time considering the cattle they had there. And then I got a call from um, the development manager at the time and he said, hey, mate, are you interested in coming back and doing some work with the Knights Juniors? And I was like, no, nah, I want to do that. Like, no, not again. Not, <laughs> no, no I'm done. And he sort of hassled me a bit. He goes, look, Pazzy, can we go out for lunch and have a chat? You know, we've got a good history. I've, kn- I've known the guy for ages and um, – we had a bit of chat. He goes, "Look, I've got no one. We start training in three weeks. I don't have anyone for the juniors to for the strength or anything like that." And I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" He goes, "Well, apparently, Wayne's guys they they wanted to run everything, and he said as soon as they've turned up a week ago, they don't have anyone." So no. I said, "All right, I'll come back, but I'll do it for eighty bucks an hour for twelve hours a week." And he was like, "Oh, okay then." I was yeah. like, "Well, sweet." I'll do that. Should have so, made it under it. Should have damn it. Yeah, so I worked there for a little bit. Um, Probably it was nearly nearly a year. I was only supposed to work for a couple of months, but then when um, the guy that was that they brought another guy that they brought over from England to run the junior program turned up. He, I think, he had the impression that the junior program was a shit fight. But when he turned up, it actually from the previous guys that were in there, it was set up very very well. Okay, they had interns there, they had physio interns, they had S and C interns that were running a lot of things. And I think when he turned up, he was like wow, this is running pretty well. He's seen me and I got along with him well and he said, mate, I want you to stay and run the program. Oh, yeah. And, and the facilities know, all the are quite good there, aren't they? I heard well, we were up at the uni at that time. Ah, so okay, we right set up that gym, myself and Lee Clark, in the early 2000s. Like, it's what you need. Yep. And, uh, yeah, done that. And then halfway through that year, um, uh, Trent Robinson, he knew Lee Clark that was a, the head here previously. They knew each other and Trent spent a bit of time at Newcastle. He hit me up about um, maybe going to the Roosters. Yeah. That was at the when he came over the start of 2013, end of 2012. Yep. Um, his S&C that was over him at Catlin Dragons in the Super League, that was Brian Smith's son. He was going to stay over in France, so he hit me up to go down there, and I was like, yep, like 
no problem at all. Wanted to work with him, but then um, and this was an NRL job. Yeah, Brian. Uh, so <laughs> Brian Smith's son Keegan said, "No, nah, I'm going to come back and go to the Roosters with Trent Robinson because they were pretty successful in Catlins." Yep. He goes, "Mate, do you want to go to Catlins? You can have the head role there. I'll talk to him." Blah blah blah. Yeah. So then, yeah, and then ended up over there. And how long were you there for? I was supposed to be there for three years. After a year, I got headhunted by Munster Rugby in Ireland. You've probably heard that uh, quite a bit. Oh, I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, got headhunted by Munster. A player agent hit me up. Sort of they um, they had a coach called Rob Penny that he'd come from the Crusaders. He wanted to change the way Munster played rugby over there. They were a very direct team, just around the corner, forwards orientated. Yeah. I know you love your rugby, Yep, Chris. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> getting you belted around the scone. Yeah. Um, and he wanted to bring in what they call Canterbury Rugby where they play on the edges, go from edge to edge. So he wanted someone that had experience with rugby and sort of like nrl rugby league oh, to yeah. play that. So I ended up um, – that was the big role for me. I thought I've made it now. Yep, that's cool. So I put so much work into that getting the job. When I got the job, I shit myself. I remember the day that they rang and said, look, we want you up here. And I was like – Shit, no. how am I going to do this? Yeah, no worries, I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do this, Kate. <laughs> so, that's exactly right. So I accepted that role. I'm, you know, the French work a little bit different over there. I uh, went in and told my coach it was at the sort of start of the next preseason. I said, look, mate, I've been offered a role with Munster Rugby. They're probably the most one of the most prestigious rugby clubs in the world. They want me to rug their entire program. Blah, blah, blah. I'm handing him my four weeks notice. You know, He was a bit disappointed, but he was fine. Look. I understand where you're coming from. He's in the business too. Yeah, so and then uh, the next day he said, oh, the board want you to go and have a chat to him on Tuesday night, the French board. Yeah. Like, yeah, no worries. So I turned up there. All the French board over there, they're, um, yeah, they're businessmen, but they also think they're coaches. So I've um, turned up at this meeting, got the interpreter there, so I understand, and they've said, oh, you can't leave. I was like, oh, what do you mean? I was like, no, you're not allowed to leave. If you want to leave, you've got to pay your contract out. Was like, I was a bit odd-headed and it was like, yeah, like shit and walked out. As soon as I got back to our house, I was like, okay, you need to get the French contract out and we need to get on Google Translate. Oh. So the last paragraph of the French contract had um, that they can sack me and give me four weeks' notice. If I want to leave, I have to pay out the contract. The money that they were going to pay you. Yes, you pay which was about, I think over the next two years, was probably close to 250 grand Australian. Fuck me. So we're staying here a little longer. <laughs> so I <laughs> hope you like France. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Shit myself was like, what am I going to do? Um, because they give you an English contract when you first sign and basically that just gives you the outline of contract but it doesn't have any of that French uh. stuff. So when I first turned up, I turned up there on my own because um, Kate had only had our second born Louis about three weeks before. In France? No, in Australia. In Australia. And then I signed and went. Yep. She was... Um, over here packing up the house and all that with a yeah. three-week-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. You're an asshole. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I went over there without a visa and they were like, no, don't worry about that. You're just flying to Barcelona. We'll pick you up. We'll be in the Catlin Dragons car when we drive past the, mm. you know, the, um, the yeah. border. They'll just wave and, yes, Off they did. Yeah. Yeah. So we got there. As soon as I got there, they were like, okay, we need to get you to sign so we can get your apartment and get that. Uh -huh. So they had the French contract there. I just signed it. Mm. Yeah, so... How'd you get out of that? It was a pretty tough time. They actually sent um, they sent a letter to Munster and the Irish Rugby Union saying they wanted a transfer fee. 
Yeah. I thought that was laughable, but then I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. What a transfer yeah. be. And the Irish Rugby Union were like, hang on, we're talking about a coach here. Like, this is in yeah. two different sports. Yep. So they were, they were talking, they were going to go to the court of arbitration. It put me through a little bit of stress because I didn't know what was going on and yeah. ended up um, getting uh, put onto a really good player agent lawyer in yeah. Paris. He went through everything with me. We just went back with them and say, look, if you're going to sue us for this, we're going to go through this, 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 this and this. And it ended up sort of going pretty quiet from them wanting 200 grand to 80 grand till then six months later they were like, oh, we'll accept two grand. 2000? Yeah, so I'd, we didn't have any more contact with them. So there. He was a bottle of Moe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll call it even. So then uh, you went to Munster and you said before this is probably one of the most – prestigious rugby clubs in the world would that be the most professional outfit you've worked at yeah definitely yeah? yeah it was crazy in terms of the culture the facilities just what they their expectations yeah it's just i don't think you can explain it to anyone until you've sort of been in there yeah it's um we got up there and it's funny that we um when we first left france you had the two kids all these suitcases, everything yeah. like that. We get to the airport down near our house in Perpignan and no one helps us. We're trying to, you know, mm. everything. As soon as we get, you know, we're thinking this is good. As soon as we got to Ireland, people are helping us pack the car that we didn't yeah. even know. So we drove across. We stayed in, um, we lived in Limerick, which is a little bit different. It's a, as much as when you get an interview, they tell you how the club's set up and you go, yep, yep, that's fine. You don't even get a, a second chance, but when uh, give it a second thought. But when you get there and see how the club is set up, it's sort of a little bit mind-blowing. So how Munster works is a little bit political with um, Irish rugby. Half of their squad, or I'd say if you look at it from here in Newcastle, half your squad lives in Newcastle, half your squad lives in Gosford. Ah, uh, okay. So they do all their S&C and basic skills training separately then they come together two or three times a week to do their team sessions. So is it forwards and backs or it's just no, whoever it's just lives there split, and whoever yeah. lives there? So I'm, um, I was above all that as the head of performance. I had a group of S&Cs in um, Cork and a group of S&Cs in Limerick and I'm overseeing all of that. So you just to go back and forth? Back and forward quite a bit, two oh. or three times a week, which is about an hour and a half drive. Yeah. But the that's not the issue. The issue probably was that, Everything has to be done absolutely the same in both um, training centres. Mm. Otherwise, because it's that competitive to get to pull on a starting jersey there, whether to play European Cup or play in the domestic. You know, if, if your guys down in Cork are doing something different, the Limerick guys, you know, players going, well, why the hell did they get to do that? And we didn't get to do that. So, yes, it was interesting. I had a staff of 15 there, which was even more interesting. Yeah. Managing 15 people underneath Yes, 15 sort of S&Cs with the same... Um, personality is myself and they're all trying to get your job yeah a few of them were i think if i had my time again i would have done it a little bit differently it did teach me how to how i have to probably manage people better if i get into them sort of positions and did you find that the teams in cork or the squads in cork and the squads in limerick were doing different stuff beknownst to you um i from what i heard after um i left there or was sacked from there um, yes, yeah, so I heard there were some things going on underneath that I didn't know about and I never would have known about until I sort of got told afterward. How come you got sacked? How come I got sacked? How come you got sacked? Yeah, after they headhunted you. Interesting. Yeah. We need this bloke. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fuck him off. Um, <clears throat> the coach that was behind me um, going in there and it's just – so the club doesn't employ you. The Irish Rugby Union employs you because – 
all the heads of performance of the Irish provinces, like the head guys, yeah. they're employed by the Irish Rugby Union because you're basically looking after their best interest for their national team, the players. Oh, yeah. that okay. There. You're developing So it's like players. a two, yeah. two-way street. So when I turned up there, it's like um, – it's a – Really confusing. It's like, okay, so do I focus on the guys that play for Ireland mm. or do I focus on this whole squad and making them? It's a bit of a – that's what I really struggled with because I come from a uh, sort of background where you, you treat everyone the same. Yeah, of course. So that was a little thing that I battled with all the time. But um, towards the end of the first season that I got there, we were pretty successful. We had a Heineken Cup semi final where we just got beat by Toulon. Um, Johnny kicked – I think six or seven goals that game, and they ended up beating us by two. That was to make the European Cup final. And um, the head coach, he actually ended up, they only offered him a one-year, he had a lot of, um, he got a lot of heat from the media for him trying to change the way Munster play. It's the Munster way. Trying to play more expansive. Yes, and they don't like that there. That doesn't work straight away. That's not the way we play. And they only offered him a one-year extension, and so he was like, nah, he got a big offer to go to Japan. Oh, okay. So he left. He left, I stayed, and then um, the natural progression was the um, assistant coach, forwards coach. He's the um, the epitome of a Munster man. Oh, okay. Grew up there. Anthony Foley's passed away now. He come in, and I got a couple of um, couple of heads up from staff that, you know, just be careful because he wants like a whole Irish yep. back room. Mm. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm blah, 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 I've got my contract on that. I sort of pushed that to the side, probably didn't look at a lot of the alert signs. Then uh, the assistant coach, Kiwi, Simon Mannix, he got um, he got shafted as well. Then the South African physio got shafted. Oh, right. And then the Kiwi um, academy coach, academy S&C got shafted, and I was like, oh, hang on. Here we go. Here we go, <laughs> yeah. So at this point, how, how long did you have left on your, on your contract? Three years. So what's... I don't understand what's the go with how if you've got a contract in place, how can they just get rid of you if yes. you if you haven't done anything? So what happened was I sort of knew what was happening. Mm. And then I um long story short, one of my assistants, senior assistants, he was acting in the role before I got there. Okay. So everyone thought he was gonna get the job. Yep. And then I come up over the top of him. And he was Irish? No, he was Welsh, but oh. he was very close with all the Irish guys. So I, yeah, I the sort of, I think I knew right through what was happening without me really knowing where I was a new guy in. And it was this whole Cork versus Ireland thing, even with the coaches. Half the coaches were in Cork, half were in Ireland. They battled against each other. Yeah. Um, geez, I probably could get in trouble with this with the agreements I signed, but I don't really care. Go for no, it. We don't care. <laughs> Go, Go for it. it. No, um, so I got – we had friends over, close friends that come over to uh, to uh, stay with us for a, for a couple of nights. They were travelling Europe. Yeah. I've only seen them on the weekend and we actually brought it up. It was pretty funny. So they were there. I got called on a Monday. I got a call from the head of the Irish rugby, like the head performance, and he goes, that really good guy, South African, still get along with him. He goes, oh, Adam, I need to have a meeting with you tomorrow night, like at um, in the boardroom at, at the uni. And I was like, shit. And yeah. I come home and I said to Kate, oh, I'm going to get sacked tomorrow. Here get that comes. contract out. Yeah. Um, she, that was like, she was like, what, what? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm done here. And then our friends were there were like, oh. And I was like, no, I, oh, I don't really matter. care. I'd had enough by yeah. then. I think it was only two weeks before then I said to Kate, physically and mentally I can't keep doing this. It's yeah. the first time in I think it was over 12, 13 years that I'd actually thought that about 
yeah, in, about what I love doing, my passion. It's, it's a high-pressure job too. So to go just, thirteen, if they're not winning, like yeah. it's all on you, and you got players doing this and that, and the two centers and everything like that. And I probably, what I've learnt now is I probably, I know it sounds a little bit um, egoy, but I probably cared too much. Yeah, like if I if a team would lose, I'd come home, and um, excuse me, Kate would be like. Are you all right? Like sort of yeah. on eggshells, and I was like, "Oh yeah, all right." You know, you'd be always thinking if there's injuries or if they get beat in a try, you're looking back and are they not fit enough, or you're waiting for someone to say something or how that guy tear his hamstring? What did we do? What didn't we do? Yes. Yeah, so, um, and what also I had pressure on me to do was to fix up my um, my squad. The new coach was saying that there's too many in there, so I happened to tell guys you're not wanted anymore. And then when I look at what they're getting paid. The, the previous guy was paying them hardly anything, so it was a big bit of a clusterfuck, as we say. Yeah. And, yeah, I got called to the meeting, and I knew what was going to happen. I'd already spoken to a solicitor. Yeah. <laughs> got into the meeting. They sort of said they dabbled on a little bit, and blah, 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 you know, we're going to have to let you go. They said it was because of management stuff, and I was like, oh, so it's not the performance of the team or anything? Oh, no, no, no. And I remember the head coach at the time, he just sat there with his head down, and I sort of – I didn't get fiery. I, they were actually a little bit um, – Taken aback, I heard um, afterwards the CEO of Munster and that that I didn't really I looked like I didn't care. Yeah, because not that I didn't care. I was like I just can't be bothered spending energy on it. And I actually said to the coach, "You got what you wanted," and he looked up at me and I said, "I know who you want in this job, and yeah. I guarantee they'll be in it straight away." And and it makes it more awkward for you. You know, you don't want to be somewhere just because of a contract if, if yeah. they don't want you, kind of thing. So. Um, I uh, spoke to the solicitor as soon as I got out, and he goes, "Nut, nah, leave it with me." But what they actually done was over there, the Irish labour laws, I think I was there just on a year and the Irish labour laws are unfair dismissal doesn't come in until after a year. Nice. So they'd done it about a month before. Yeah, they timed that. Yes. So he ended up, um, they'd been in trouble before for this sort of stuff. So he, um, there was a lot of back and forward with him. I wanted to be paid out and I just still wanted to get out of there. Yeah. I was like, no, nah, I'm done. We're going home. I've had enough. Um, then we threatened to go to the media yeah. and then we got a bit of a payout. So. Yeah. So, but even with coming to that, they had this big thing that to protect their IP and we don't want anyone else to know that or even asking in the, the solicitor that they wanted my own private computer, they want to look at that, that I didn't have any of their stuff on there, but everyone does the same thing all over the world. So yeah. yes, and that was, um, that was my monster time. And then you came home? Yep. And you haven't then. been back since to no. coach overseas? No. Would you ever consider it again? Oh, I had opportunities to go to the NBA. Yeah. I would have went there, but I missed out twice like I was the um, bridesmaid. Yeah, so oh, what teams were they? That was with um, Oklahoma. In, that was in 2011, actually, Oklahoma. Yeah. Wow. And then 2015 was um, the 76ers, Philly. Yeah, I spent a month with both of them. I got flown over and sort of had a look at the organisations, met everyone, the owners, everything. Like that was yeah, pretty cool. cool experience. I so know you were saying uh, you were asking if that was a monster was the most professional outfit. Now, what's the um, what's the NBA like when it comes to professionalism? <sighs> to be honest, there they there's a lot of Australians over there. In terms of where I come from, they're not very professional. Really, they got a truckload of money, like more money than you can even dream of. But the players run the comp over there. Yep. So they, they're in control, the players' union. And just some of the stuff they were doing over there when I was sort of observing, I got to go to games and everything like that, and it was pretty cool. Got to sit on the bench and everything like that. They were doing stuff that we were probably doing 10 years ago. 
in terms of Australian sports science and SNC oh, okay. and that. Because yeah. they've got so much say, is it a bit like, hang on, wait, we're the talent here, use kick back, we'll pick and choose what we want you to teach us. Yeah, a little bit. I We were in the locker room before a game and I remember it was when Joel Embiid had his Jones fracture in his foot. Yeah. Jones fracture. Jones pretty bad. E. Yeah. Um, pretty painful they are apparently. Yeah, we are pretty painful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he had, a, and I remember him with the S and C. He was arguing. The S and C said, "Look, I want you in tomorrow. We, we've got to do this session." He's like, "No, nah, not coming in." And got a bit fiery. I don't know. The S and C done well to stand up to him, considering he was seven foot two and about one hundred and sixty kilo at that time. Yeah. And um, I spoke to the S and C after. I said, "What was the go with that?" And he goes, "Oh, well, they have an agreement that I think in a month they can do. They do so many S and C sessions." He reckons he's already done them, so he's not doing any more. Oh, right. So they signed a contract, I'll go to the gym this many times. Yeah, and, and then when I spoke to the owners and all that about, you know, they, they put a contract in front of me, said this is what we're looking for you to do, and all I looked at was the money. But then when you, I was like, okay, you play for six months of the year, geez, the other six months I'm going to have some fun, you know, on this yep. money and that. And they go, oh, no, what we want you to do there is, in essence, our 15 players aren't contracted to us for the other six months. They just go back to their hometowns or whatever they train. What we'd like you to do is travel around and just make sure that they're doing the right thing. Now, you can't tell them what to do, but just give them advice. It could be, you know, Chris Jones, me mate's me trainer. Talk to him and I'd go, oh, mate, what are you doing with so-and-so? We do this. He could tell me to get stuffed. Yeah, right. Or he could, yeah, so that's sort of how the other is trying to find players wherever they are and make sure they're sort of... Yeah, right. It's just very, very interesting. No wonder they always seem so happy all the time. They just get to do what they want. Oh, I got told. <laughs> I, I spoke to a couple of networks I had over there when I was going for it, wanting advice and trying to bring in all this high-end stuff. And one guy said to me, works in the colleges over there, he's, um, he was like, mate, your biggest problem is going to be getting out of a nightclub before 3 o'clock on a game day. Is that the biggest problem for the <laughs> Yeah, that's what he players. reckons. That's going to be the biggest problem for you as an S&C with performances. Oh. Yeah. So they just they just do whatever they want. I think so. And if you got had it off and down to go back and have another go at it, would Definitely. you do it? For half a million a year, I'd do it. Oh. Oh. And that's what they sort of offer over there. Yeah, that's great. I think, yeah. But um, coming from that with Philadelphia, they were really happy with everything. They wanted more of a scientist. And they went with a guy from over here. He wasn't American, but he'd worked at the AIS for so long. Dave Martin, he's a little bit older. He was a full-on white coat wearing scientist. They were still struggling a little bit with me being more applied, where I said, I coach as well as look after all that sort of stuff. But then about a week later, I had a call from the New Jersey Devils. Oh, it was right. the ice hockey team. They had the same owners. Okay. And they were really interested in me, but their coach was like, I remember he first said, he said, what do you think about, you know, you Australian heads of performance coming over here and playing God? You know, just to let you know, if this all happens, you won't be telling me what to do. And I was like, oh, wow. How, yeah. how does it mean playing God? Um, there is a consensus that some of our heads of performance and people like that are uh, – they go over there and basically try and control all training and everything like that. Oh, okay. So they've had troubles with Australian S&Cs in the yeah, past. Yeah, yeah. Well, or UK and that, that, you know, basically try and control all part of training and don't let, you know, sort of the coaches have that decision. I think there's been a few dramas over there every now and then with that because I don't think a lot of the times a lot of our best guys or girls haven't be, have gone over there. They're like they're a bit lower level. I've only heard that from a few people where they'll go to a conference They'll talk and go, you know, it could be someone from AFL, this is what we do over here. They'll have a delegate come up and go, hey, we want you over in our club. They'll go, oh, no, well, I'm at, you know, I'm at this club, but I can recommend someone to you, so one of their interns or one of their lower level, and they'll, they'll go over there on the recommendation. Mm. 
Yeah, so right. yes, it's a it's a big big sort of um, profession, but it's pretty small. So everyone knows everyone knows everyone here. Yeah, right. And um, so now you're back in Oz, come back from Munster, had a yep. couple of trials over there, and now you're at the Hunter Sports. What are you doing there? Hunter Sports, I, I'm the um, head of uh, strength and conditioning and sports science. I gave myself that title. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah we put God there. I wanted to say director, <laughs> but they wouldn't let me do that. No. <laughs> so, um, no, I was. it was the right place, right time. Yeah. Because I, I comes back to saying I think doing my PE degree was the best thing ever because it's something to fall back on. I could yeah. go back and casual teach and get pretty good day rate, yeah. and I'm happy to do that. Um, I was doing a um, a lot of casual days there, and the director of sports said, Look, "Mate, you could be in the right time, right, right place, right time. We're looking at expanding. We're looking at putting on a full time S and C. Would you be interested in it?" Yep. And you know, and I'd be employed as a teacher, so you get all the um, holidays, the perks that come yeah. with that. I should say, um, yeah. And they were the school was going through its um, I think it was sixty million dollar rebuild at the time. Sweet. So you got the fucking. So yeah, I, yeah, I did got to design. I had a budget to design the whole gym, and I basically um, got a really good boss out there, and she was like, and my direct line boss go, you set it up how you want. We trust you as long as you do it, as long as the feedback's good, you'll work here for as long as you want. And so I, I don't think I'm ever going to leave there. I really love it. Yeah. Unless something huge comes along, but it would take a lot. I've knocked back a couple of little opportunities in the last couple of years. Yeah. Nothing that's really come. It's usually just talk. Yeah. And yeah, like I enjoy it there because I can still do you know my stuff outside. Yeah. I can come home every day. I can surf. I can train myself. And I'm You've living got two at home. kids as well. So. Yeah, and I'm living at home. Yeah, which is even better. That's great. So now tell me a little bit about um, with the boom of like uh, CrossFit boot camps. This, that, there's something on every corner block. There's something different. Where, what makes SNC so much better, and what's wrong with a lot of some of these other branches that are out there? Here we go. I might burn here some bridges here. This yeah. one. <laughs> Let's burn, Jones baby. He's heard this before. Um, Let it burn. I think um, social media doesn't help. I think uh, it's very easy to put across on social media. Basically, you can say what you want without any. Um, without any sort of evidence behind that, if that makes sense. I think the fitness industry in Australia and probably all over the world is very – or Australia is probably the worst. It's, it's so unregulated. You don't actually need a Cert 3 or Cert 4 or anything in fitness to train people. So there's, there's no accountability? No, nah, there's not. Anyone can go out and do it. There's, you know, a lot of people say you need your Cert 3 and Cert 4, but that only from an insurance point. Oh, okay. And if you look at insurance, if, um, you know, if I was training Jonesy and he got hurt – and he goes, right, you've done the wrong thing, I'm going to take you to court, they would have to prove that I deliberately <laughs> tried to injure him or it was gross negligence. So or pretty much you made him do that. In yeah, that and yeah, like, yeah, there was no background to what I made him to do and he, yeah, yeah. So I think that that's a problem too and I think with what's happening, if we get to CrossFit, I used to absolutely despise CrossFit like, and I was probably pretty prominent at that. I think, like anything, there's good and bad. Cross, the, if you have a look at the CrossFit methodology, it's changed so much in 10 years from when it started. They're yeah. actually starting to program a little bit better. But I still, with being an Olympic lifter and around it from, you know, basically when I was born, I still have a huge issue with doing snatch, clean and jerk, yeah. things like that for a conditioning purpose because it's yeah. they're so technical and so yep. things happen under speed, things happen under fatigue. Mm. And really, the uh, really the um, the snatch and clean and jerk, the traditional lifts, not the power lifts, they're invented for a reason. 
to be able to lift as heavy as possible with that technique. They're, they're, it's just so technical to teach the full lifts and to, you know, to some gyms to clear a room of 30 people to be able to say, yep, you're right to do overhead squats, you're right to snatch. You just, you know, you look at some clips and that and I just cringe and go, wow. And the, the CrossFit methodology is just go as hard as you can, go as heavy as you can, and they don't seem to realise that, that you can do serious damage yeah. doing this stuff. It has a place because if you have a look at a lot of the good CrossFitters, are athletes anyway. Yeah. They were good at other sports and they're just phenomenal. Like they're, they're What they do is unbelievable. So they've got the foundation oh. behind them already, though. You know? I have so respect for them people. Yeah. The mental and all that to do that. But I think for general pop, geez, you're skirting, you're skirting around a little bit of danger there. There's other ways. There's so many other ways that you can do it safer and probably work harder. Well, that Matt Fraser bloke, he was a collegiate weightlifter anyway, wasn't yep. he? So he already had a background of clean and jerk. Yeah, and I think one of the prominent uh, Australian girls, she was a... Um, Toomey? Toomey, I think one? she was a gymnast. There was one yeah. that was world-class gymnast. There was one that was a world-class rower. Cara Bell's in there as well. Yeah, they're all... And yeah, if you have a look at their body shapes, they're built to do that lifting. They come from a <coughs> pedigree where they could do it. Yeah, yeah. So if you're everyday, you know mother or just average worker or whoever it's not it's not ideal to just go and start crossfit i don't i don't think so i think that there are some good gyms around there but it comes back to that old saying any fool can make another fool tired yeah yeah it's yeah and and it's the same with the whole i look at that minimal effective dose so when you work with athletes at high level athletes and you're under pressure even in season you you'll struggle to even change an exercise because you don't want them sore for two or three days because they've got to be able to train the next day at the level they need to and the day after and they've got to play. I think that's that's what some people lose effect. It's all right, I could you know, beat the crap out of you guys now in some sort of um, thing out in the gym. If you can't move for two days, that's not going to be helpful. You're not going to do anything. So you're, not, you know, you're only doing probably you know, two days of exercise a week. I had that discussion with some of my wife's friends about a year ago they come and go oh Paz we're doing a boot camp and I was like oh cool like so when I, we do it on a Tuesday and Thursday and I was like okay so here's your week Monday you don't do anything because you got boot camp on Tuesday Tuesday you go and someone kick the shit out of you for an hour yeah for the first 10 minutes will be quality and after that you that tired and that that everything becomes that slow you're better off just stopping and going for a walk yeah Wednesday you can't move so you don't do anything Thursday you're even sore then it's Obviously. the weekend. <laughs> then, yeah, then Thursday you'll go again. You'll do it at probably half the intensity you've done it on the Tuesday and then you put your hands together and get on done on the weekend. Like I get that a little bit because uh, when you see these like circuit and boxer size and all like I used to be doing a little bit of boxing when I was younger and it was quite serious. But um, I, when I see people like holding the pads up for other people and this is how you got to punch and I'm looking at their grit and my teeth going, it's not how you fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine what you yeah. see when every, every other street sign there's a flyer on saying, come and do this, come and do that. Like, And I think people think it's a – like if you look at your – I look at myself lucky where my, you know, nine to five job is my main earner. But then I, I look at majority of PTs, it's not the the lifestyle that I think a lot of people think it is. You know, they're up at five o'clock and they work from five till, say, nine and then not until three till seven or eight at night. Mm. You know, working with people that a lot don't want to be there and you're motivating them and they don't care and you've got different levels of um, ability and you're trying to get the most out of that. I don't know, I probably think a little bit deeper into it than what, you know, your general PT would. Yeah, so how would the average person go about finding a trainer, finding a gym? How do you find the right fit for you? Where do you it's, start? It's interesting because anyone can just 
open a gym in the suburbs and go, I'm a high-performance centre. Really? <laughs> it's happened not? before. You yeah, just, well, the, yeah, you can't. You can just call your gym that if you want, can't you? Yeah, <laughs> you can say high-performance. I don't even know what high-performance is. Like, it's a word yeah. that's termed around a little bit. Or, you know, you can go and do your Cert 3 and then say, oh, yeah, I, I can deal with sports-specific. I, I look at PTs and they go, oh, ex, um, injury rehab. You know, I don't touch anyone that's injured until I've spoken to a physio or they're you know, someone who does an ACL. They're eight or ten weeks post-op, and then you know your SNCs come in. But I think um, if someone, it's a question I get asked quite a bit: How do you pick a trainer? I think if you're looking at SNC, my big thing is is you know qualifications, yes, but you look at that um, education without action doesn't mean anything. You know they've got a qualifications. Where have they worked? Who have they worked for? A red flag for me is someone that's only worked for themselves because they've had no accountability. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, you know, there's no one that's that they're looking at what they do or how they do it. Yes, they could be sort of successful by just, you know, getting people in and herding them in like sheep and out and yeah. telling them what they want to hear. But you have to have worked someone, whether it be an institute or a team, what have they done in terms of, um, you know, I say to a lot of the exercise and sports science students, just go out and... Uh, Go out and uh, volunteer for a local MPL soccer club or local rugby team and take on their SNC for a whole year. I think we're we're at that point where people think SNC is just four walls of a gym, like that's the easy part of it. But when you've got, you know, Chris, you'll know, like last year where I really love doing stuff with the with the Greens, a local rugby. But you turn up there and um, you got 70, 80, 80 guys turn up on Tuesday night to do training and I think as an SNC you've got to have experience and know how to talk, oh, yeah. know how to use a whistle <laughs> and <laughs> and set everything up so you can get them running and get it get it running well. Now if you use cuss words. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I've learnt that um, the word fuck is universal in every oh, language, yeah. French, uh, Japanese. So how do you deal with the um, – how do you deal with the – do you feel the pressure of, say, just say now you, you're you coaching Ryan Callanan, who's currently on yep. the Pro World Surfing Tour at the moment. How how do you deal with the pressure on yourself of, like, I've got to get him fit, I've got to train him right, I can't injure him, otherwise he's fucked. Yeah, I think that's huge, that point, and I, I use that with my guys all the time. I have Ryan and um, Leo. Leo texts me about – Leonardo Fiovani texts me about four or five times a day when he's training. Leo just wants to be world champ. He's just that driven. He's, Ryan's a little bit more relaxed and yep. just goes with the flow, but that's not saying, you know, he's one of the best on the planet. But um, Leo will come and go, oh, I heard so-and-so's doing this. Have a look what he's doing. What do you think of that? And I'll have to go, look, if there's no evidence behind it, I can't do it with you. And he'll and he was, and he stayed at my house um, for a week or so last week. He's just stayed over here because of COVID. And I was like, look, mate, if I do something with you and you get injured and there's no evidence behind you. You earn a lot of money a year and you've got a big thing. If I hurt you, like, I'm gone. Yeah, your sponsors are going to be saying, well, what the fuck yeah, made doing you do that? Yeah, and that's what I see in surfing where people doing stupid shit, balancing on stuff where if you had just have a look at any of the evidence or research, it just shows that that unstable surface training, you can't produce force out of it. You can't become a better athlete with it. Yes, for rehab, it has its place. But surfing just seems to be one of them ones where, you know, I've surfed all my life and love it, but it just seems to be one of them sports where they're just like the latest trends and all that, whether it be diet stuff or training stuff, they're all sort of embrace it and want to do it. And I think with my guys, we've had a pretty successful year. We were spewing that, um, you know, everything got cut off because 
Ryan had an equal first at Surfest. Rio, Leo run the 10 star down in Sydney. You know, they were the two guys at the start of the year that were, but then everything, you know, we were doing some some different things that probably surfing won't do for a while. Took some risks, which I, I've sworn that I can't say. Yeah. But it's not that it's a secret. It's something that other sports have been doing for years and years, but surfing won't do it for a while in terms of training during events and stuff like that. But yeah, with Ryan, Ryan's a different kettle of fish. Ryan's hypermobile. So he's he's basically his um, ligaments don't do anything. He's that um, flexible. If you don't know what hypermobility is, hypermobility is that's just unbelievable flexibility. He can get in the positions that I don't think many humans can get in. So with Ryan, you've got to train him to be stable. So it's a whole different kettle of fish than change it. Usually with a lot of athletes I work with, you're trying to get them more mobile. Set them up, yeah. Yeah, Ryan, you're trying to get him more stiffer. And had he known that about him before or you were sort of we, – We did, but he never really – I think it was only around 2013-14 that probably Surfing Australia led the way. There was two really good guys. Um, Jeremy Shepard's world-renowned. He's a uh, he's American that's world-renowned for um, jumping and all that. He got a job with Surfing Australia when they opened their big high-performance centre up at Casuarina. High-performance. High-performance, Yes. One of them buzzwords. That um, Jeremy come on board there, and then he had Josh Seckham doing his PhD. Josh, Josh is a local guy, legend. He's he's um, works at the uni now, and I think he might be doing a little bit with the Knights with their sports science now. They basically turned it on their head. They started to do research in surfing in terms of training and ability, and they changed it a little bit like that. So that's sort of how I got on with Ryan and. I knew he was mobile, but I had to learn so much about dealing with athletes who were hypermobile. He had chronic patellar tendonitis for years. That, and we only worked out that basically his tibia and, tibia and fibula, the two bottom bones, shin bones, they moved forward, which put a lot of stress on his patella, which made him in pain. So we had to do a lot of different stuff to get him back, which probably went against what people would think. You know, we lifted super heavy on his knees to try and get force through the tendons. Like to big make back them squats better. and deadlifts yeah. and like stuff. Almost yeah. as if he had no <coughs> ACL kind of thing. You can yeah. get that movement going yeah, That forward. ligaments don't do anything, yeah. Huh. So he struggles with control. You see him get a heavy weight out. If he's going to squat it, you can see his pelvis move around. He's got to really focus on his control. Uh, and you reckon you've sort of come up with a solution for that with the training? Oh, we have. Ryan's very good. He's, um, the last couple of years, he's really interested in it. He reads a lot. He asks a lot of questions. You know, he'll always say, hey, I've got a question. And I'll sort of go, oh, here we go. What? <laughs> and, you know, he'll ask, why do we do this or why do we do that, which is really good. Mm -hmm. But he, he takes a lot of control of his, his training. He'll say, hey, um, I'm going to surf heaps. What do you want to do? I'll say, okay, let's back off. We, we don't need that. We'll come in and just do some movement or something like that. Yeah, few swell, these past few weeks with all those swells cranking, he would have yes. been a lot less training in his arm. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. Was he here for that? Yeah, no, he, he was, was up at uh, Foster, I think. Was he it? was here for the Friday session. Him and Leo went out the Friday big day. And then the Saturday, Sunday, because Leo come down and their coach, Richard Marsh, was up. They went up the coast and done a lot of mock heats and stuff like that. They just... I said to Ryan, why, why wouldn't you surf Merriweather on a Saturday? He goes, oh, I would love to, but the paddle, the it's just a big wave. It's not it's not really preparing us for what we need. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's so they went survival. up there. And it's pretty, to be honest, pretty gnarly what they do. Like I spent the day up there with them and they're up at five. They're up there checking everything. They'll do, they'll go out and surf. They'll come in, they'll do a mock 35-minute heat. Dog will score them. They'll go through it, you know, and... With them, you know, your average recreational surfer in 35 minutes be lucky to catch two waves. They're probably catching 12 to 15 each and putting unbelievable amounts of force into come Everything. 
go through, debrief, go back out, you're going out again, come in, debrief, go and get something to eat, we're going out again. So it's like a... And I've seen it firsthand out there at Cliff sometimes. And usually he's down in Merriweather or that. And as soon as he's up there at Cliff and all him and his mates come through, I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, <laughs> like you see a few boys, like everyone will just kind of be sitting there in between sets waiting for him to come and then try and paddle into the right spot. You, like, Darvis won't even go and say hello to him. And he's known him since primary school. Like, he's just, boom, over there, over there, always working. He's just like, yeah, good on him. He's just, doom, 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 doom. Like, and you can see why he gets 20,000 waves. Like, yeah, I refuse to surf with him because, oh, um, as everyone be said, people get rhinitis around here. Yeah. He'll paddle out somewhere and there'll be no one out. And then within 20 minutes, there's 30 guys sitting around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Because he's out there. And they're then guys where you'll surf and it might be absolutely dog shit. And you could be watching from the top, and if you don't know who it is, or don't, he'll be out there making it look like it's perfect, because mm. just at how good he is, and people go, "Oh, well, I'll go out there." Oh right, I see. <laughs> so he's making it look like it's better than what it is. Yeah, yeah. You get out there and you can barely get on pieces of yeah. two foot shit waves, and he's out there just boosting airs and just doing what he wants with it, pretty much. Exactly. <laughs> so is the tour off this year? We don't know. Don't there's know, w- there's inklings that it is. There's inklings that's not. I can't see how they're going to do it with travel. Yeah, but yeah. they're just doing Australian leg. But it's getting all. It's getting all. Yeah, but that just has no bearing on the. You know, they all want to get a world title. Yeah, and there's no no bearing. It's not going to be as much money. Then there's the risk of you getting hurt. So for these hectic waves, yeah, I suppose. Righto. So uh, what's next for old Tripaz? I think I'm. I'm um, pretty kicking back. It's pretty 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 happy with what I'm doing now. I love my job at school. I've got a good little um, surf crew. I look after. I've got. Five or six, and I've got a young skater as well. And yeah, I've done a fair bit with, um, as you know, with the Greens the last two years in rugby, but that yep. just got a little bit too much. It's one of them ones where they'll say, Oh, no, just come on and we just want you to do this and this. But I don't know, you always want to win, so you'll do whatever you can to, to make that team. You can't sort of just come in and do 50%. You do like to stretch yourself thin too, don't you? Yeah. Like to try and get everyone in the gym, everyone yeah. training, trying to train I this do, club have, and doing, doing I this do conference. I do have trouble with saying no. Like, yeah. yeah. It's because you love it. How do people True. um people get a coach like you? Are you only doing like professionals and on the side now or can you can anyone just book in with you? No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, – Jonesy will probably um, – Exclusive? Yeah, yes. I'm not, not exclusive, more that – I don't know. I think with the, what's happened the last – probably two months with the COVID thing, it's the first time in, I reckon, five years that I've been able to train properly myself and look after myself and train four times a week and just get you know, back ta- not rushing it. and, you know, skipping things and worried about people coming in and people going out and yeah. everything like that. So I've, that's sort of changed my perspective on that and spending a lot more time with the boys and, yes. Are you still ketosis, whatever it is, ketotic? <laughs> you still into that? I tried that before it was cool as well. Oh, <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I'm a bit of a um, – I've always struggled with my weight. I've got a belly like a wet blanket. But, um, yeah, I always um, muck around with different things. You didn't compliment me, mate. I lost 13 kilos. You, you just always look good to me. Woo! All right. <laughs> Your missus is texting me. We've got to pull oh, yeah. the pin on this one. Yeah. Thanks, so Paz, for coming in, mate. No worries. Thank you for yeah. having me. No yeah, it's worries. really good, eh? Yeah. And uh, as always, podcast brought to you by Sage Painting. www.sagepainting.com.au Yep, for all your painting needs in the Newcastle and Hunter area, do not hesitate to contact Sean and their friendly crew. We will give you free quotes, same-day quotes, and someone like me will come and paint your house. Good on you. I'm going to get to your house soon, Paz. I'll come and look at your joint. <laughs>
A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-A-P-A-S-